Welcome back to the Garden of Glass podcast presented by the Hope Farm. I'm your host, Bentley Evans. Uh, today's episode is going to be all about cocktails, Garden of Glass cocktails in particular, and uh, the bar program here at the Hope Farm. Um, my guests today are Danny Rivas and Raleigh Swan. They are both part of our bar team that's super talented. Uh, shout out to Ian, Maddie B, uh, Lane, and Paige. Um, and uh, they're here, and we're going to talk about uh, some fun stuff. So, uh, welcome. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. <laughs> um, so, I kind of want to first dive in and, and, and get y'all to kind of talk about your experience in the industry, um, kind of what brought you to this point um, in your career. Get it, Danny. All right. Well, I guess uh, restaurants are kind of always been a part of my life. Uh, my dad is a restaurant owner in California, and so... I spent most of my summers out there, you know, working either in the back of line as a prep cook or as a line cook, and then eventually kind of worked my way up to the front of house. Uh, saw that I kind of enjoyed that more, working as a server, manager, like all that front of house aspect of it. But right. um, they were real big on the margaritas at his restaurant, so that's kind of like my segue into cocktails, you know, as far as, you know, flavor and complexity is concerned. Um you know, in my early 20s, I was just drinking to get drunk. And then, <laughs> you know, I started seeing some uh, really cool cocktail programs um, in Denver and California in particular. And that kind of uh, showed me that it's not just, you know, it's not just the booze. There's a lot more going on there. And, you know, me being a history buff, I kind of like went all in and started seeking that. But, uh, no, yeah, I uh, worked in the industry for several years as a server um, and then kind of segued into bartending just because of that historical aspect. And, you know. Who doesn't like bartending? Yeah, for sure. For sure. How about you, Raleigh? Um, I kind of got started in my early 20s. I was actually 20, 20 years old, and I had the classic fine dining upbringing. Um, I applied originally for back of house, and um, this place called Spaggio, owned by um, uh, Hubert and Helga Seifert. Um, shout out to them. Um, they um, saw it, they took one look at me and my blonde hair, and they're like, no, no, front of the house. <laughs> so... Um, Classic fine dining upbringing is you start as a porter. You, all you do is polish glasses gotcha. for six hours. Oh, wow. Um, and then you reset the restaurant. And then you get to be a busser. You're reset, resetting tables. They let you in the dining room um, on, a, on a leash. Um, <laughs> and then you get to be a back server. Um, you are following the server resetting tables for different courses. Um, none of those positions involve talking to guests. Right. And then you get to be an AM server. Okay. Then you get to be uh, a PM server. And I went through all those positions, finally to PM bartender, okay. dinner dinner bartender. Um, I knew absolutely nothing about bartending. I just think that uh, the, the the managers above me saw me uh, kind of going through all the positions. They're like, "Well, bartending is next. Might as well do it." Right. Um, so that was my. It took me two years to go through all those positions. Uh, Twenty two years old, um, fine dining bartender. I knew how to make an old fashioned in a Manhattan, and that's about it. A martini, maybe. Um, and then I found this old bar book, um, this old bar, bar manual behind the bar. It, it had been there for like 20 years and I started reading it and I was just like, Oh my God, there's a, there's a way to do this. Right. There's a way to learn about this stuff. And it was, it was kind of crazy. Um, and so that's, that's how I got started. And, uh, so gradually gaining more knowledge, um, in my twenties, um, I ended up at the grand hotel, uh, for three and a half years. Um, again, starting as a bartender, and then I started running uh, their bars there. Um, so the 1847 bar, right. Bucky's Lounge, uh, a lot of event bars. 
um, we had there as well, and the and the pool bar. So a lot of moving pieces, and that taught me the entire whole another aspect of running bars in terms of inventory, talking to vendors, distributors, and reps. Um, I heard about this place was opening while I was managing there. Took one visit here, a walk around, um, and I was sold um, on the concept, on um, just the grandeur of the building. Like um, it's pretty incredible, and it's definitely stayed that way for me. Yeah. I still walk walk the property, and I'm like, this is, this is crazy. Yeah, yeah the dude. tour definitely sold me. Yeah, I think I think obviously getting people like y'all as part of this too kind of just took it from what it the potential it had and actually achieved that potential. So. Um, we're, we're happy to have y'all as part of the team. I think we're still trying to figure out the, the full potential of this. Yeah, for sure. We're, I mean, yeah, what we can do is just like, given our circumstances that first year in particular, you know, I feel like this is kind of our true first year. People are starting to come out, you know, slightly post COVID during COVID rather. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, so first impression obviously was a good one. And so when y'all started working here, obviously y'all saw the potential of what it could be. Um, like you said, kind of working through COVID and the various things that we kind of dealt with, we're kind of jumping into this new kind of year, almost like a fresh start almost. Um, you know, what do you think, um, as far as your experience has been and where do you think it's going to go from here? We'll say it is nice to see people kind of coming out of the woodwork. Um, I worked over across the Bay in Mobile for a long time and it's this year that I'm finally starting to see a lot of familiar faces from over there, um, kind of coming out and getting more comfortable with being around other people. Yeah. Uh, so it's been interesting just kind of trying to gauge that and making sure that we're still offering a comfortable and safe environment for guests right? while still, you know, like drawing a crowd. Yeah. Um, so, you know, with this bar program, how would you describe it and kind of what is it, what makes it unique um, in particular to kind of other places you've been um, and, and that type of thing? I think there's great authenticity to this bar program in that um, you call yourself Garden of Glass. Um, you call yourself sustainable. Um, we can actually walk out and pick the satsuma from the tree or the Meyer lemon or the cucumber or the mint. And those freshness of ingredients, you cannot, you cannot fake that in terms of then putting that in a cocktail right. um, with fresh juices. Um, pick that day, just like with, just on the culinary side as well. Um, exact same thing. You can't fake freshness. Um, when you talk to the guests about where certain things are planted, um, your knowledge of the property, that seals the deal for them. Um, especially if they then get to then go take a walk and see exactly what you were talking about. Right. It makes that, that drink you just serve them or whatever they're eating like that much better. Yeah. And that's, it's very gratifying to be on the other end of that serving the stuff and, um, seeing those reactions. Yeah, I think the the farm side of this is, is ever evolving for sure. We're kind of dialing in more, you know, the things we're growing, kind of getting more particular on about things we want to see grown, utilizing our hydroponics to the fullest, yep. growing things that maybe are not particularly grown well here, yep. um, and kind of just figuring those things out. Um, it's definitely a work in progress. Um, all right, so I want to jump into introducing these garden glass cocktails that we have for the episode. Um, Raleigh, I'll let you start with yours. Sure. I made an East side cocktail. So this is uh, what I would consider a modern classic. Um, it was created in New York by a guy named George Delgado in 2004. Um, now he worked at a place called libation. Uh, it was then sort of stolen uh, maybe. And in, in the cocktail world that happens all the time. Um, and then brought to milk and honey, um, probably 2006 around that time. Um, and, 
basically, um, this is a great fit for the Hope Farm. It's not on our menu, but it utilizes a lot of the things we grow here. So we're starting with fresh ingredients. Um, we got cucumbers that we recently harvest. Um, I chopped those up and muddled it. We grow our own mint. We have uh, two different mint beds that we use. Um, muddled that fresh as well. We juice uh, fresh limes, a little bit of that in there, some simple syrup. And then I used Plymouth gin, which is a style of gin um, from England. So as far as flavor profile, it's going to be kind of like a gimlet um, on the sour side in terms of groups of cocktails. But the mint and cucumber just kind of bring this um, freshness and uh, sweetness to it. Yeah, it's delicious. For sure. You could definitely have a few of those. <laughs> definitely. What about you, Danny? Uh, so this is called Babylon and inspired by the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. You know, walking across the property, you do see a lot of, you know, foliage. And it just kind of uh, brought that to my mind when I went to pick the Satsumas. So with this, we have uh, little tiki bitters, some um, vanilla syrup. We've got a London dry gin. And then we've got some fresh squeezed Satsuma juice. Um, but the idea with this is like truly garden glass, you know, we're going out there picking it, juicing it that day. Um, but it's got a kind of like a creamsicle type of vibe to it, you know, really crisp, refreshing, yeah. easy, easy to pound, you know, two or three of those back to back. Yeah. Is it that tiki bitters? Is that like kind of what, what kind of gives it that feel to so it? So there's a bar spoon of allspice strand in there okay. and, uh, that along with the tiki bitters kind of brings out that spice element. Right. Right. I know like with cocktails, there's, there's this whole experiential side of it. I mean, it's like the glass it's served in, how it makes you feel when you're holding it, drinking it, you know, there's mouthfeel, there's obviously how it makes you feel. Um, there's all these various aspects that go into kind of creating cocktails. Um, when, when you're, when you're sitting here and you're like, you know, in your head and you're thinking about the various things that you could put into a cocktail and, and wonder what it would taste like, what's the steps of, of kind of creating that, that, that creative process for y'all? Uh, lots of failure, trial, <laughs> trial and error, definitely <laughs> more than anything. But uh. yeah, I would say uh, experience um, is a great help. So you get the trial and error behind you in terms of knowing what flavors go together, and then that really frees you up to be to have a clean theme, yeah. um, and to go along with whatever uh, theme your bar program is running. So we know that we want fresh ingredients, and then we can just have a pick of pick of the litter in terms of should I make a sour? Should I make a stirred drink? Um, what should, what sort of uh, liquor should I use as a base? Right. Um, we grow our own thyme, rosemary. We've got lots of edible flowers, mm -hmm. um, tarragon as well, like, you know, tarragon and maybe a, a spritz go together and all the trial and error, most of the trial and error, let me correct myself <laughs> is behind us at this point. We've been doing this for a little while. Right. Uh, so then it's, uh, yeah, you get to the point where it really becomes fun. Yeah. So it's like a, um, I mean, obviously it's never ending. It seems like, it seems like once you kind of dedicate yourself to kind of this type of craft, like it's limitless as far right. as like the creativity of it. Uh, I mean, and the thing that experience kind of gives you is that template. So, you know, all that trial, trial and error, like you start to understand the components of a cocktail and whether or not something truly belongs in that cocktail. So you don't want to put meaningless ingredients inside of a drink, you know? Right. It's also really fun being surprised. Yeah. Putting things together and then someone makes some off comment. Hey, maybe try this. And you're like, oh, nah. And then you try it and you're like, oh, man. <laughs> that makes it way better. Right. <laughs> so, you know, obviously there's been this re-emergence of, like, craft cocktails. Um, I don't know how far back it goes. I'll let y'all kind of talk about that. But obviously it went from kind of this one-in-one -one Jack and Coke kind of real basic thing to, like, people really – 
enjoying this craft cocktail. It's like an art form. They kind of come in for the experience. Um, you know, when did that start? Kind of, kind of bring us along that historical kind of path. Well, I think it kind of happens in waves, but most recently within the past 15, 20 years. 20 years, you would agree? Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, just like the birth of uh, gastropubs, um, microbreweries, um, people getting back to creating artisanal products yeah. where they create things from scratch, brand them themselves. Um, less mass distribution. Um, the cocktail scene definitely like um, evolved around that same sort of theme. I would say for me, um, in terms of reading reading certain books and gaining knowledge on the subject, Dale DeGroff is a, a, an amazing starting point. So it, we call him King Cocktail, as he's known. Um, uh, he basically was the bar manager of the Rainbow Room, which is part of the Four Seasons okay. in New York. Um, he was Four Seasons is a much older restaurant, but he was doing that in the 80s. And he was one of the first people to have a successful bar program that was uh, world-renowned uh, to bring back only fresh juices gotcha. as, as he could find them. It's, it's a hell of a thing to try to juice a pineapple, but, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah. Um, and, uh, basically he's the blueprint and other places like milk and honey, um, by Sasha, Sasha Petrovsky or the Pegu club by Audrey Saunders, um, both in New York as well. They've kind of modeled just that simple, uh, theme of authenticity, fresh ingredients. Right. Um, and then from there, I mean, every, every, even small cities now have garden glass or at least, um, craft cocktail bars. Right. So, and as far as, uh, it's definitely got a, it's sort of a niche scene, right? Um, it's definitely sort of a hipster thing as well. Right. But I think at this point it's, um, evolved and matured enough to where it's just, uh, accepted. Yeah. That's the standard. Right. If you're going to have a, call yourself a craft cocktail bar, fresh ingredients, um, and a clear sort of theme and purpose. It's essential, yeah. yeah. I love it. Yeah, I mean, whenever I'm going, any any city I'm going to, I'm trying to find the, the, the place that's creating cool cocktails. Yep. I mean, obviously, I think anybody in, in our age range or even, I mean, dad nowadays, you know, he's kind of gotten into the cocktail scene. He's obviously a big wine drinker, but um, when we, you know, travel, it's it's always seeking out the coolest spot that has, like, you know, the creativity and all that that you can go experience. Yeah. Um, so you, you kind of touched a little bit, but the historical origins of, of the various, you know, ingredients and cocktails i know we talked a little bit um before this podcast about oleosaccharum and and shrubs and cordials and things um kind of what what are the where do they play into this reemergence of the craft cocktail scene i would say the sustainability factor um and just uh truly utilizing those ingredients to their fullest extent um the fun part with the saccharum is that you add the sugar to those peels without, you know, trying to get minimal pith in there. But uh, it draws out all the oil from the brines. Um, I think sugar is hypertonic. So it like uh, it absorbs moisture really easily. Um, hyper, hypo, one of the two. But uh, it absorbs the moisture really easily. So, um, you know, when we go to juice our lemons and limes, for example, we'll take the spent rinds, add a little sugar to it, and extract all that oil. Yeah. Um, one thing that we've found is that it's really not that hard to be sustainable, you know, it's cool. If you're, if you're like actively trying. Right. Yeah. The idea of throwing things away is actually a fairly new idea. <laughs> the idea of not being sustainable. Um, you have all these types of um, things that we drink, anything from you, you have um, tinctures and cordials, shrubs, Amari, all those different um, bittering uh, agents um, and liqueurs from Italy, 
those, the origins of all of those um, were proprietary herbal um, blends that they would go in apothecaries, um, would either have gardens behind them or they would go in forest, a forage rather, yeah. um, for the ingredients. So the idea of like using ingredients to their fullest extent, not throwing things away and truly being garden to glass, yeah. we're just trying to return to that. Like we're just trying to return to like how things should be. That's cool. Um, and it's, it's a huge benefit that guests get to uh, have their uh, experience benefited to. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. I know uh, you talked about like tinctures and, and bitters and things like that. And I mean, a lot of that stuff we can make in house. Um, I know I saw, you know, I was introduced. I'd never heard of it before the Yama Tower um, and the various things that we can do with that. I know we, we utilize that a good bit. What, what, do you know anything about like the, the, history behind the Yama Tower? Is that some, is that fairly new design of things or is that something that's been around a while? I don't know. It's kind of a niche thing for some craft cocktail bartenders, but uh, as far as like its history, it's made for coffee. So it's made for, you know, concentrated cold brew coffee. Right. Um, however, it lends itself very easily to, you know, infusing various liquors, uh, you know, five to six passes of that, you should be able to infuse just about anything into whatever spirit you'd like. Yeah, it's cool. It's nifty. Um, so, all right. So when, when someone walks in the door here and they come up to the bar and, and, you know, they're like, Hey, look, you know, they look at our menu and they say, look, just recommend me something. What's the first step? I mean, do you, do you ask them kind of what they're used to drinking and kind of go from there? Do you kind of get them to step out of the box? What, what's, what's the, the process? Definitely gauging what they like. Um, I feel like you save yourself a lot of time if you just flat out ask them, like, well, what do you generally like to drink? Right. Uh, I, I usually ask lighter or darker. Mm-hmm. That kind of, you know, opens up that spectrum a bit to give them a little more option. Um, however, you know, if you're busy, like, the faster <laughs> you can get that answer, the better. Yeah, sure. for sure. I'll give them a good look up and down about three times. <laughs> figure figure them figure them out a little bit yeah quick awkward stare right um but yeah um basically exa- exactly what danny said um rather than just being like what do you like yeah um because they asked you because you're the expert right sure um i'll just kind of gauge i'll be like what are you craving are you in the are you, are you guys just starting out are you just here for drinks you want to do an aperitif right you want to do something light and bright um if it's after dinner i'll be like we got we have cognacs we've got liqueurs like what do you want to sip on you want some port Right. Um, and then that gets them out of their box a little bit. You right. throw these these terms out they might not be aware of beforehand, and you get to talk to them. Um, and, of course, we're bartenders, so we're making other drinks, and we're doing other things while we're doing this. But uh, sure. that's what makes the job fun. Yeah. What's your uh, What's your go-to drink? Negroni. Negroni. 100%. Yeah, I love a Negroni. What about you, Danny? Daiquiri. Daiquiri? Yeah. yeah. I know we have one on the menu right now that's kind of a, a play on a daiquiri. Um, what's that one called? Age of Aquarius. Yeah, that one's delicious. It is the Age of Aquarius. Yeah, so it was a running joke from when we opened last year, and uh, we finally realized it on the cocktail menu. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess, um, all right, I, I'm curious. You know, you, you talk about there's this there's this term mixologist. Um I don't, you know, for someone that doesn't know the difference, is there a difference between a mixologist and a bartender or is it, is it kind of the establishment? Is it the the quality of what you're creating or is there not much of a difference between the two? Well, I mean, as far as just vernacular goes. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of been an interchangeable term past the last hundred years. Yeah. Um, You know, personally, I think what we do here as far as like the bar and restaurant aspect 
lends itself more towards being a bartender because you are catering to the needs of your guests. In addition to, you know, making really fun libations, you're also, you know, taking into mind that you are like tending to these guests. Right. Um, but I, honestly, I think it's just people and their personal preferences. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think it might kind of, kind of might be a term that, uh, its origin might be from outside of the bar as in like, it's good for guests to distinguish the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as where they are, right? They, you walk into a dive bar, that's not a mixologist, that's a bartender. Right. Um, but as far as um, within the profession, what we think of ourselves, any anybody behind the bar that I know that's um, worth their salt calls himself a bartender. Um, but if someone, if a guest wants to uh, refer to me as a mixologist, that's fine too. Yeah. It's not going to hurt my feelings. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of whatever. Um, so how how is it is it different to work kind of in a a restaurant forward bar as opposed to just kind of a strict bar, you know, cocktail bar. Um, obviously there's like, you kind of touched, you kind of got to take care of the guests. There's a whole other aspect to it. You sometimes you're taking tables and you're actually waiting, um, and serving food and that type of thing. I mean, kind of, how does, how does it, how do you, how does it differ? Well, I mean, from traditional bartending, you just got a lot more going on. Um, I think it also just kind of sharpens your focus on guest interactions. Um, you know, when you're just bartending, you just want to get something in that person's hand and get them out of your face right. <laughs> for all intents and purposes. <laughs> I, if you're like in the middle of a rush, so to speak, but uh, generally, you know, you're going to have more time with these people, more one-on-one interactions. And I think, I mean, obviously if you're, if you've been here, you can definitely tell when you're sitting at the bar top that, it's a lot of familiar faces right and they're there for a reason and it's because we are you know offering them an elevated experience right right yeah i mean we're you're making them cocktails but you're also the whiskey expert you're the local scotch expert cognac uh, 20 different wines by the glass right. um so in terms of how the job is different i think it it's uh, forces you to be better uh, at a restaurant uh, yeah but i think the rewards are better too Greater as well. Become a jack of all trades. Master of some. Right. There you go. (laughs) Um, So obviously we have a a huge wine program here. Um, You know, we like to push that um, on top of our cocktails too. But, um, you know, I know Raleigh, you and Danny both have um, some knowledge on the wine side of things. How does that play into, you know, working here um and kind of how you interact with with the guest um is it something that so with the addition of wine in our program and it being a huge focus um i think i mean i I view it as a huge uh benefit behind the bar uh, for this reason when uh servers are serving their tables and this is also why i'm a bartender not a server Mm -hmm. they have a certain amount of resources they've got a, a a bag with very few tricks for the table um, you have your personality, um, and you have your professionalism. But other than that, you are at the mercy of the kitchen. You are at the mercy of the bar to get those drinks out. A bartender has your professionalism and your candor and your good looks. Um, and, but you also have all the bottles behind you to help you. You have all the wine behind you. You have everything else that can help, help the guest experience. Um, you have an arsenal of things. Uh, and so I view the addition of wine and uh, maybe a little something more involved in a classic cocktail bar to be um, a great value, 
uh, to me being able to serve the guests. Right. For sure. Cool. Do you, um, do y'all have any, any books in particular that you would recommend to someone to read if they were kind of trying to get into this and wanted to kind of see it, you know, kind of strive for this to be a, a career for them? Um, yeah. Which ones would you recommend if you had to pick, you know, a couple? I'll say the, I'll just say the first, um, the first two I read were Dave Wondrich's, uh, his imbibe book. Okay. Um, now this is more storytelling, um, with a little, with a little bit of science in there, um, history of distillation. Um, but he does great sort of, um, many sort of, um, stories about drinks and then the founders of those drinks, um, how they were used, certain stories of certain hotels, um, all the way through to the modern era. Um, that's a, in terms of getting inspired right. um, to it's learn more. It's a great more. book for just having talking points as far as like history is concerned, you know. Right. Um, this cocktail came from this bar or hotel, what have you. And as far as um, the prof- the actual profession, being behind the bar, Meehan's Bar Manual is another Absolutely. indispensable resource. Gotcha. For bartenders, like uh, figuring out how to do your job better. Be more organized, like certain standards that should not be... Uh, um, forgotten about. So it's like specific to the profession itself. And then one that's specific to us would be uh, Garden of Glass Cocktails by Mike Wolf. Yes. He was the opening bar director of Husk in Nashville. Mm-hmm. And it just gives a lot of insight into, you know, changing a bartender's mentality to be more aware of those ingredients um, that are readily available to you, you know, kind of cultivating that cocktail from the ground up. You know? Right. Yeah. I, whenever I was um, looking at the, uh, the, or I was, I was trying to come up with a name for this, this podcast. I was Googling to make sure that, you know, no one had already come up with it. And, uh, I came across that book right. and then ordered it and started reading it. It's a good read. Yeah, dude. It's, uh, it's pretty inspiring. Um, so as far as, you know, how you see a bartender's role in the community, um, the relationships, um, and managing the regulars, um, kind of what, what's the process there? Um, I would say just, disarming them as soon as they walk through that door each time you know they know that they're walking into a comfortable situation um i think it lends us a lot of leeway with our guests you know if we do run into those you know uh inconsistencies with the kitchen or what have you you know um just all the things that happen on a nightly basis you know right uh you they're a lot more gracious um because they understand that at the end of the day they are going to have that positive experience and they will be back right yeah i mean Nothing really further to add. Nailed it. Yeah. I mean, regulars, I guess, are like the ones you want to see come in the door. Right. Just because of that. Well, I mean, you know, like you develop relationships with these people. Right. You're privy to the finer details of their life, you know. Uh, You walk into a cocktail bar. It's uh, what fabulous drink can I make you? Yeah. You're talking about the drink and you're talking about yourself. (laughs) You walk into a restaurant. It's hello there. (laughs) Good to see you again. Right. Right. Way more relationship centered. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, so uh, all right what about the opposite of that like whenever you come in and there's you know maybe an, an awkward guest or one that is kind of uh quiet kind of what's your what's your icebreaker move it's tough i mean it's very situational <laughs> yeah. um generally he just has to smile at them right yeah that's all danny has to do um i don't know just kind of gauging where they're at asking it doesn't hurt to ask too many questions to just yeah. kind of feel out where they're at as far as understanding the menu is concerned. Right. Um, you know, I, I like to ask, are you, are you torn between anything? Cause that kind of gives me like a little leeway to figure out which direction we're kind of going in. Right. 
I always like coming up to you and, and, and asking you to do a variation on some random cocktail and you always have something going. So, um, where do y'all think the future of, um, I guess craft cocktails is headed. I mean, do you, obviously we're kind of getting back, like you said, to the roots of things like with that, uh, garden to glass aspect of things. Um, what do you, what do you think the next, you know, 10, 20 years looks like in this industry? An emphasis on classics, but with a gastronomical approach is what I've noticed a lot of lately. Yeah. Just, you know, people using various smokes, uh, infusions, uh, kind of yeah world your oyster in that one right a lot of molecular science very true foams and things i definitely view um we've hit that we've plateaued and the entire movement i don't think is going to like um the, like in terms of the, the mass of the movement is going to move very much we're going to see a lot of different offshoots and i think we're already seeing that with cbd cocktails right um there's entire bars now dedicated to um non-alcoholic drinks like yeah. There's a there's a bar, I want to say in Colorado, that's just uh, mocktails. Interesting. That's it. That's and they, cool. they have food. Yeah. And they do amazing job. They do, do an amazing job. Yeah. Tons of different shrubs, cordials. Everything is homemade. Um, you're definitely going to see some extremes branching out. Right. But I think as far as where the majority of bartenders and guests want to be, is just getting back to the classic base, base, uh, basics for yeah. sure. Um, in terms of ordering reliable drinks from reliable people um, that are kind of like very true in, in purpose and theme. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's super cool. I know we have uh, some mocktails on our menu um, that were created, and I think it obviously, I think putting them on the menu themselves kind of allows people to feel more comfortable if they're not, you know, a drinker. Oh, they yeah. still want to kind of just be social and not really be asked, like, why aren't you drinking or whatever it may be. You can order one of these things, and it's kind of under the radar. They can get their fun, fruity, and delicious that's right. At the booth. Or if you're pregnant, you know, like my wife, she gets to uh, yeah. order a cocktail and still enjoy at least most of the aspects of the cocktail, except for right. the part that I love the most. But, <laughs> um, all right, I'm going to do some rapid fire questions. Y'all ready? Let's do it. All right. Bitter or sweet? Bitter. Bitter. Appetizers or dessert? Appetizers. Apps. I'm with you on that one. Beer or wine? Beer. Beer. Both. <laughs> All right, PBR or High Life? PBR. Oof, my girlfriend will be upset with me, but uh, High Life, champagne and beers. Yes, sir. All right, chocolate or vanilla? Chocolate. Uh, chocolate. <laughs> Shoes or flip-flops? Shoes. I don't want to see your feet. <laughs> uh, hoodie or sweater? Hoodie. Hoodie. Yeah, I'm hoodie for sure. Hair gel or all natural? All natural. Oh, natural. All right. It. Look at that. We know yep. now, now we know y'all just so much better now. Right on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, I appreciate y'all being on the podcast. It was fun. Um, I'm excited for the you know the future. Um, and 2022 is gonna gonna bring some fun things, and I'm glad y'all are part of it. So absolutely. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for having yeah. us. Yeah, Thank man. you, dude. Yeah.